Hello and welcome to Tea Time Theology. My name is Ivy Swinsky and our guest today is the Reverend Scott Lee from St. Barnabas Church in Warwick. Scott, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. So this series is about what we're calling Bumper Sticker Bible. And your bumper sticker that you chose is kind of a twofold. Um, but the first one is the coexist image. Why did you want to do that one first? I just remember when it came out, I was like, huh, well, that's what a novel idea to just show tolerance to other human beings that have varied opinions. Um, rather than letting the, those things divide us and lead to more war, which historically they do. Uh, so, and I think you have some history on that probably more than mm-hmm. I do, but but that was kind of the first thought was like, gosh, maybe maybe we could be tolerant for a change. Wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. So for people who haven't seen the coexist bumper sticker, what it looks like is it's the word coexist, but the traditional version has three symbols. The C is part of the crescent, which is a part of the Islam faith. The X is the Star of David, and then the T is um, the cross. So that shows three of the, I would say, largest world religions, mostly. Uh, I found the history about it really fascinating. So the image was created by a Polish graphic designer. I'm not even going to attempt to say his name because... I think he would appreciate that. Um, But it was in the year 2000, and it was part of an international art competition. And the original version was one of dozens of works displayed in a large outdoor posters in Jerusalem in 2001. And it was designed, as we said, to represent tolerance between religions. Since then, it has been turned into a bumper sticker. It also was a very large part of U2's Vertigo tour in 2005 and 2006, mm-hmm. which, I mean, I think makes sense if you know anything about U2. Um, but I think that was really cool. I also, like, my dad had this bumper sticker at one point. It's a very dad bumper sticker, I feel like. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. But I think it's one of the... What's interesting about talking about it is I think it's one of the least controversial of a sort of like religious bumper sticker until I started researching it and realized people have large feelings, um, which they seem to do about most things. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, But do you also agree that it's sort of like a less aggressive version? Because I feel like sometimes religious bumper stickers can be very preachy, preachy, aggressive in your face. Mm -hmm. Do you agree that this one is a little calmer in that respect, or no? I, th- I think so. I think it leads us towards tolerance rather than superiority. I mean, because mm-hmm. I mean, the ones you're talking about is, I'm right, you're wrong. Uh, I'm smart, you're stupid. I mean, whatever it is, you know, this, in, in the event of rapture, this vehicle will be unmanned, or or my my um, 
my Lord is a Jewish carpenter. Or, you know, I mean, all these other mm-hmm. ones have this sense of, I've got everything figured out. And, and gee, follow me to Sunday school and I'll, I'll, I'll teach you how right I am. Mm-hmm. Uh, that one's more just kind of, a, kind of a mutual respect at the very least. Mm-hmm. I acknowledge you exist. You have a different opinion than me. That's okay. Mm-hmm. And, and it's a good starting point for dialogue. And I think that's really the point of the bumper sticker is starting point for dialogue and at least just tolerance. I mean, at at the very least. And it's 2001. Is that when you said it came out? Um, So the art competition was in 2000. And then 2001 is when it was displayed. And it really became... um, as it like became a cultural shift after 9-11. That's where, was, that's um, where my mind into, went. Mm. Yes. So it was like, I believe it came out a little bit before then, but because it came out around the same time as um, 2000, uh, 9-11 and mm-hmm. 2001. Um, and the one that is most common. So the original version of it had just those three symbols in it. Um, but now the version that most people would know and see have still the Islamic crest, crescent moon for the C, a peace sign for the O, the Hindu Om symbol for E, a star of David for X, um, a pentacle for the dot of the I, a yin-yang symbol for the S, and then still the Christian cross as the T. Um, and this version was designed by um, someone named Jerry Jasper. Um, and it, it's the most common version that people would probably see now. I do appreciate that the Wikipedia page says that, like, it is most noted in the Bay Area region of San Francisco, <laughs> which I'll take Wikipedia with a grain of salt. But I do appreciate that they're like, this is the space mm-hmm. where you will see these bumper stickers. Um, do you think that one one thing that I when reading about it was that, like, some theological people are like, atheists shouldn't be allowed to use this symbol because they don't agree with like anything in that. Um, but other people are like, no, it's sort of for anyone. What do you, what do you sort of see it as? Is like, who are who is this made for? Who is the target audience? That's a good question. I think the target audience is anyone who is tired of fighting mm-hmm. and. Um, who just wants a chance to embrace their faith without judgment. Um, and that could be anybody. That could be an atheist. Mm-hmm. Like, like, gosh, can't I exist too, even if I don't agree with your dogma? I think that's fair. Um, I think you're missing some important, you know, reasons for life, but, but I respect you. And I think that coexist allows us that space to at least respect another person for not agreeing with my unique perspective. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And... One member sticker that I know you wanted to bring into this conversation because it's very similar mm-hmm. in the idea of the coexist one is the compassion, um, which has a lot more symbols in it, <laughs> um, but it's the same sort of concept. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about why you want to talk about both of them instead of just like focusing on one? Yes, I think when when I was thinking about the bumper stickers, the coexist is a great starting place for dialogue. Um but coexist, still, there's kind of this subtle implication, I'm right, mm-hmm. but I'll let you be wrong. I mean, that's kind of the way I see the coexist bumper sticker. Um, and I think compassion takes us to a, 
totally different level of, of conversation. Mm-hmm. Because then it's not just, I'll let you believe whatever you believe. It's, I want to deeply understand you. Mm-hmm. What you believe, why you believe. How does your story inform the story of humans? How can I learn from you? Uh, because compassion, I think, well, I think we have the wrong idea of what compassion is. But, but compassion moves us to that place where I really appreciate you as a human being. I want to understand you. I want to know more about you. I want to learn from you. And so do I, am I brave enough in my faith mm-hmm. to learn from a Muslim? Am I brave enough in my faith to learn from an atheist? Am I brave enough in my faith to learn from, uh, you know, a Buddhist or whoever? Mm-hmm. And what might that tell me about this infinite God that I see revealed in one unique way, but maybe God's revealed in many other ways? And what can I learn about that? Mm-hmm. I want to go back because you, like, dropped something there. Did I? Yes. Of what What do you mean by you think we have the wrong idea of what compassion means? Oh, well... Most of the time when we think of compassion, in fact, if you look up the definition, um, the definition suggests compassion is pity. Mm. And while I understand that perspective, I don't think that's what compassion really is about. Mm -hmm. And so I looked up and one of the definitions that I really liked was compassion literally means to suffer together. Among emotion researchers, it is defined as the feeling that arises when you are confronted with another person's suffering and you feel motivated to relieve that suffering. There's a sense of togetherness. There's a sense of equality, really. And so the problem with, with when we talk about compassion is someone has the power and someone doesn't have the power. And so we always talk in terms of pity and belittling and um, like you're, you're beneath me. Mm-hmm. And and we think the compassion is like, oh, well, here, I'll throw a few dollars at you. And all of a sudden now, uh, I was compassionate. Mm-hmm. But that's really not compassion. Compassion is you and I are equal. And I want to do my best to raise you to the equality that I enjoy. Mm-hmm. It doesn't mean I necessarily lose my station, maybe a little bit, if it helps us be equal. And... And anyway, that's kind of where my mind was going with this is, is this deep appreciation for equality, which is not just, okay, I'll let you exist. I really want to share this journey of life together and learn from one another. Mm-hmm. What is it about the phrase coexist that to you brings this idea of that I'm better or than you or like, I'm going to let you ch- decide what you I don't remember how you phrased it specifically, but why do you think coexist is so different from compassion? I think it allows people who are sure they're right to Mm -hmm. confirm that in their Mm -hmm. own mind and never really take the time to learn and study. Why learn and study their own faith? What is it that I really believe? Mm -hmm. And then two, it, it limits us and kind of keeps us from wanting to really understand another human being and what they believe and why they believe that. And how does that inform your life and give you purpose? So for having these bumper stickers, do you think a part of choosing to have that on your car or laptop or wherever um, you would put a sticker like this in your own life, do you think part of choosing to have that is also um, like understanding and like researching and understanding what all those symbols are that you are putting on your car, do you think what is more important is the larger message of what it represents? 
I, I can't even begin to guess what people's motivation are for whatever bumper sticker they have on their car. I mean, some of yeah. them yeah, I can. I mean, <laughs> yeah. I understand your motivation, and I may approve or I may disapprove, or I I may agree or I may adamantly disagree. But this one, I think, is is I think most people who put this bumper sticker intend well. Mm-hmm. They want there to be a sense of peace in the world where there's not. Um, religion has been one of the single biggest reasons for war in history, mm-hmm. and it continues to be. And and it's no coincidence this came on the heels of 9-11 or right around that time. It's like mm-hmm. at that moment we had to decide, are we going to plunge ourselves in, into another crusade? Mm-hmm. Um, or are we going to try to carve out space where we can coexist? Mm-hmm. It's a great starting point. And I think most people who would put this on their car want that start. They want the chance to have their religious beliefs upheld and they respect other people's religious beliefs and, and want to affirm them um, and at least just allow you to practice whatever it is you believe, mm-hmm. which is kind of an underpinning, I think, of this country from the very beginning. Certainly Roger Williams here was saying the same thing. Hey, you're too critical in, in Massachusetts. I'm going to come down to Rhode Island where we can truly be free and practice our faith how we want to practice it. Mm-hmm. And and I think that's, a, like I said, a really good starting point. Um and, and as I said, anyone who put this bumper sticker on the car, I think he's coming from a very good place. Just let me practice my faith. You practice your faith. And mm-hmm. let's, it won't be, it won't be a community. We're not going to have this joint community, but at least we'll tolerate one another. Mm-hmm. But I really think that the compassion moves us deeper. Um, it does move us to a different level of understanding and appreciation for the other, mm-hmm. whoever is our other. Thanks. Now, I know that you had brought a parable that you sort of thought um, connected to both of these. Do you want to, you don't have to read the whole parable through, but do you want to give us sort of like the spark notes version? Sure. And sort of why you really thought that this parable was this area? Because there are a lot of parables out there. There's a lot of parables. Uh, And obviously just by the fact I bring in a parable means when I talk of matters of faith, I look to Jesus as the one who... um, who gives me insight, understanding, and 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 helps clarify what religion should look like, and and that's really probably part of why I chose the parable of the Good Samaritan because it begins with an expert of the law. So here's a religious leader who stands up. What do I need to do to inherit eternal life? And they have this dialogue. Well, you know what's written: you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your soul. And okay, good deal. And then this expert pushes, wanting to vindicate, wanting to justify, depending on which translation you use, and who is my neighbor. So you say, I need to love God, I need to love my neighbor, and who is my neighbor? What's the fence I can put and say, this is my neighbor, that's not my neighbor. Okay, you can coexist maybe, just stay outside of my fence. And that's when Jesus tells the parable of the Good Samaritan about the man who's beaten on his way to Jerusalem, and... And it's no coincidence that a priest comes down the road, again, we're talking about a religious leader, and passes by on the other side. Uh, So also another, a Levite, a leader in the church, a church of the day, if you will, and passes by on the other side. And then the Samaritan, this, the the ultimate epitome of of someone who is the other. You are the other. And yet this other person had compassion Mm -hmm. and went down, stooped down, 
if you will, bandaged his wounds, treated him with oil and wine, and put him on his own animal, put him on his level. I want to raise you from where you've been beaten down, and I want you to have my status on my beast. And then took care of him. And it's not so that you owe me now. There's no indication of that. It's just, I want to do what I can to raise you up so that we can be on level ground. We can considered we can be considered equal. And that's really hard for people of faith to concede that someone who is other might be equal in the eyes of God. Mm. We struggle with that. And I think the religious leaders of our day are are not much different than the religious leaders of that Jesus was addressing. We want to draw this fence and say, you're the other, so stay over there. And this is our fence. We're right. You're wrong. But that's fine. You go be wrong over there. And that's where this coexist compassion thing kind of really started started kind of congealing for me. It's like, oh, it's coming together. It's mm-hmm. like, what would it be like if I really understood this other person, where they come from? What makes them tick? Why do they believe what they believe? And when we peel back a lot of the layers, we all believe much of the same things, nuanced, but... Every religion I know of talks about the importance of relationships and caring for one another. I mean, that kind of sums up Jesus' teaching of love God and love one another. So I don't think that is in contrast, or in a contradiction, rather. But uh, but I think most religious leaders are afraid because they're afraid that people might go to another denomination mm-hmm. or they might go to another religion. Well, then you didn't give them much reason to embrace the faith they had. Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know. I mean, if the faith moves me to compassion, then that's probably more like the real faith that at least the person I call Savior is calling me to be a part of. Mm. No, what you're talking about, this may feel off topic, but it is, I promise. Um, but I was thinking about recently is um, when I was in college, and I went to a small liberal arts college. So um, there there was like a um, Christian group, but I didn't really go to it. But um, I think most people who have gone to small liberal arts colleges or colleges in general will say that that is not like the breeding ground for great Christian faith. Um So a lot of my friends were really devout Jewish. And I just remember being able to relate to them on a different level than my friends that didn't have any faith because they got it. They understood why during spring break I would go home and have like the Easter services and all of those. And I remember like lighting the menorah during in our dorm room because like that was part of their faith. And I think... (laughs) What was really interesting for me thinking about this coexist and compassion thing is to me, some of the strongest people in my faith were Jewish. They were the people who like supported me and were like, oh yeah, like definitely like you go to church on Sunday, we're going to different things um, on like Fridays or other services as well, depending on when it falls. Um, So I think that was something that like I was thinking about when thinking about this is that I feel like people of faith a lot of times can see other people of faith. And 
it's about helping everyone create their space and be able to be as devout or not devout as they would like to. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if that's something you also see as well. Because I know you, I feel like you are very good in looking at other people of faith and connecting them in that same sort of way. And I think it has to come from a, a genuine respect. Mm-hmm. And a similar story. I was a, I was a director of youth ministry for a Methodist church back in Amarillo, Texas, or Canyon, Texas, rather. And when I was growing up, or when I was a young adult, and we took our confirmation students to a synagogue. And it was... I mean, it was truly was a holy experience for me. I mean, they had copies of the Torah in on scrolls, like we mm-hmm. read about, but that's not the way we we read the Bible. Mm-hmm. And with white gloves and with the you know, we, you know, we we got all ready. We put the hat on and we it's terrible. I don't even know the name of it. Um, but we had the white gloves and he pulls out this Torah with this beautiful uh, silver clad housing, mm-hmm. and he unrolls it and he goes down and it's, and I know just enough. Uh, um, Hebrew to know you read it backwards and you know mm-hmm. funny symbols or whatever, but um, but he just talked about this. This Torah was hand scribed, mm-hmm. hand like like someone was copying from this from a copy to their left onto this one on the right, just copying. And he said most people who copied it didn't even know how to speak Hebrew, so it's not like they were mm-hmm. understanding it. It was just the action of writing these words for someone else and the holiness of that moment. And just, I was, I mean, I truly was in awe because of respect. And of course that to me is the underpinnings of the Christian faith. I mean, I mean, our understanding of Holy scripture comes from that very uh, tradition. So it did come from a place of respect. And, and I think, am I willing to let my guard down enough to learn from other faith practices as well. What might I learn from a devout Muslim? Um, I had a few conversations. They quickly turned, at least the couple of times I've, I've had those conversations, it quickly turned to, you know, like a conversion experience. I'm like, no, this isn't about conversion. I wanted to understand you. And mm-hmm. that's where some of this, this conflict comes is because I don't want to necessarily convert. And I'm not asking you to convert. I just want to understand you and appreciate you. Mm-hmm. Um, can I understand? I mean, goodness, I've studied Buddha enough to know I've got some really wise things to say about how to live a good life. Um, and I think the same could be true for most religions. And I've quite frankly denied myself the opportunity to learn some of those things. Uh, you could say that's because I'm diving into my own faith and, you know, <laughs> trying to lead others in, in this faith we call Christianity. But I think, I think that's a blind spot. And, and I'd lean in, I probably in practice and more coexist than the compassion ideal that I would like to. Mm. Does that make sense? Yes, it does make sense. Um, so where do you think the Samaritan lies in this? Because, and forgive me for not knowing the difference, Samaritans, did they have a different religion or were they just from a different tribe? You may edit this out. <laughs> it's... <laughs> They're kind of seen as the bastard children, mm-hmm. and uh, so so there's this north. The kingdom was divided after Solomon's death into north and south. Mm-hmm. The north fell first, and it really was. It, they it's not that they lost their faith, but they weren't able to practice it. 
they weren't able to embrace it. They weren't able to grow it. So they had these stories and they kind of told these stories and kind of tried to hold on to this faith. And then the Southern Kingdom fell and the people, this is my understanding, and I'm sure there's scholars going to say, oh, you missed a few key points. I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, but but the, the people who were the leaders of the faith were shipped away to Babylon and and eventually were able to come home and rebuild. When they rebuilt, they were the ones in control. The Samaritans were kind of the forgotten ancestors or forgotten kissing cousins or whatever you call it. And they had these other stories, much the same subtle differences. And so the contention is we share this same history, and yet we can't really get along because we don't agree on how it's practiced. Because you say the temple's here. Others say the mountain we're supposed to be on is there. And they have these subtle differences in what the Exodus story is and things like that. And the way they told the story. So the, the so they're really closer than we realize. But aren't some of our greatest adversaries people who at once were close? And I think that's kind of what's played out historically in this context is they were relatives. They were kinsmen. They were people of the same nation and same religion. And yet schism has kept us apart. And you say play out with... The Orthodox Church and the Roman Church, you know, they were, they were forced into separation and they got back together and they start worshiping together. Woohoo, we're one church again. And they get to that point in the Nicene Creed where they add the words and the son. And the Romans said and the son and the Greeks said, what? Totally different theological statements. Mm. I'm not saying which one's right. They're both right. I mean, that's true Anglican Emmy, right? But... But we have these things, and these types of minute details that we get caught up on keep even a family that should be unified from being together. Mm. And I wonder, I haven't decided this. Uh, I know a lot of people say that every religion is a pathway to God or that you know God's revealed through all of them. I think I can appreciate that. I can also say with confidence that I believe that the God revealed in Jesus gives us a clearer window perhaps than many other religions, but doesn't mean I can't learn from them, which again, that kind of brings us right back in. And it begs the question, if Judaism is our ancestors and and most religions are an offshoot of those, then we actually are more like the Samaritans uh, and, and, and the priests or more like the Romans and the Greek Orthodox than we probably would like to admit. We have more in common. Mm-hmm than we live by. Yeah. And do you think that is why you gravitate more towards the compassion? Because it shows in a... And coexist, it sort of is this idea of silos, that we can all be in our own silos and mm-hmm. we're all fine with it. Um, but compassion does sort of build that community between the two. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you think that's one of the reasons that you appreciate that one more is because it does have... Um, it shows the linkage between the religions because mm-hmm. I, I know sometimes too, like I'll read things that people have posted, um, on Facebook, which is like the root of all evil at this point, <laughs> but, um, but about like the Christian faith or something. And I'll even be like, I don't know what God they're praying to. Cause mine's a little different than this mm-hmm. one. Um, but like also showing compassion in that way. Mm-hmm. That's exactly right. And I think too, if, if I really believe, which I do, um, that Jesus shows us a better way to live, 
and I watch how Jesus lived, inviting religious leaders, but also inviting the outcast, mm. inviting everyone along the way, people that belong and people that don't belong. So there is this sense of community that Jesus brings together despite the efforts of the religious leaders of the day who said, no, you stay on your side of the fence. Jesus bulldozed that fence and said, we're all one family. And I came for the whole world. It's amazing how many times we read that line and we say, yeah, I came for the whole world, but I'm the only one that's saved because I got it right. I, I just can't believe that. Mm-hmm. If we really look at the person of Jesus, we, if we call ourselves Christians and look at the person of Jesus and we're judgmental, then we're the hypocrites Jesus warned us not to be. Mm. So I, I want to ask another question again, now that we've like thought about it uh, as well, is who is this message for? Who is this message for? I hope that this mm-hmm. message is for anyone who's trying to decide on matters of faith mm-hmm. as an encouragement that you can find you can find faith in a lot of avenues and you can find good faith in a lot of avenues. Mm-hmm. Obviously, I would hope that they would entertain the possibility that Jesus has something to say about their lives and about a better way to live in this world by loving one another. And hopefully the message comes to the church leaders of today, regardless of denomination or religion, and stop being judgmental Mm. and start understanding and start appreciating and start living the way we're invited to live when Jesus says, follow me. And when we follow, we realize, oh, the tax gatherer's coming too? Oh, the, the prostitute's coming too? The... The religious zealot's going to be with us too. All of these people are together, represented. Men, women, wealthy, poor. And we're all right there. And I think we all need to be right there. Mm-hmm. In this mystery of what it means to be life and what it means to be faith. Compassion help brings us together. So that we can understand each other, learn from one another, and hopefully follow in the divine way, which may be manifested differently for you than me. If you were to choose a different word, keep the same concept of using the symbols as the different letters. Because I also don't know if compassion is the word that you are describing as well. I think it's closer than coexist. True. Um... But if you were to pick a word to create this sort of bumper sticker, don't worry about the actual letters. We'll like we'll shove the symbols in. Um, but what what word do you think would be that? Okay, so the first thing you said that I've seen one that said equality, which that was close, mm-hmm. but that's been so co opted, and we have a we've been told what equality looks like, mm-hmm. and that may not be the equality that God wants us to have. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think probably 
if I were to do a word, I would say beloved. Mm. And can we, can we believe that God looks at a Muslim as beloved? That God looks at a Catholic as beloved? That God looks at a Buddhist as beloved? That would be, I guess, and of course, obviously, that's very Christian language, straight from the Gospel of John, but, but that would be the way, that'd be the word I would use. Would you put that on your car? Or are you not a bumper sticker? I'm man? not a bumper sticker kind of guy, but that's, okay. <laughs> that's more to do with, uh, I like cars, and and I just, you know, can't see putting a sticker on my car. Now, on the window, that's fine, so I'd put it on the windshield because I could scrape that off when it came time to sell the car, but... But that's what I might put on. That's fair. Beloved. I like that. I feel like I would do empathy. Because I feel like that is... um, Because I think that is sort of the root of the compassion that you're talking about, is being able to truly understand... Um, and empathize with other people because mm-hmm. I, th- I think there's a misconception that to understand another religion means that you have to convert to it. And I, and I don't, I don't personally subscribe to that. I have, a, as I said, a lot of Jewish friends right. and I think they like have really got some things that are really interesting and cool mm-hmm. and I really enjoy, um, about there, and I have a couple people in my life who um, are Buddhists, mm-hmm. and I think they also have some really cool stuff. Um, so I don't think that understanding equals conversion, which is, I think, another thing that people get caught up on. Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I would agree. Yeah, I would definitely agree. Um, and I think appreciation might be a good word, but I, I think you're right. Empathy probably does get more to the root of what I'm, what I'm trying to say. And as, as I've said, are we confident enough in my faith? Have I dug deep enough in my faith mm-hmm. that a different perspective doesn't rock my world? Mm-hmm. Like I'm so secure in who I am and what I believe that you're not a challenge to me. In fact, I want to learn from you. I think that's probably the biggest problem is most people aren't that confident in their faith. Mm. And why do you think that is? That might be a deeper question than this. No, and I, well, I think it segues in because part of where my mind was going is as I've looked at the way religion has operated. And mm-hmm. I say religion, and you can see it manifest in most religions. It's, um, I mean, well, Karl Marx called it the opiate of the masses. Like it's mm-hmm. it's this, it's this uh, you, know, you guys just do this so you feel good about yourselves is mm-hmm. what, that's kind of what Karl Marx was saying. And, and the way religion has operated... Much of the time, it's operated by force and coercion, and uh, we're going to uh, dominate you and make you believe what we believe. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's certainly true of Christianity over time. Settling this world, setting the, you know, the new world, um, the Crusades. Mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of religions that do that. I mean, Buddhists, Buddhists usually don't. Mm-hmm. I haven't seen that kind of aggression from Hindus. I've never seen that kind of aggression from Jews, but they're usually on the short end of the stick when it comes to those kinds of things, too. They're usually the ones being uh, mm-hmm. forced and coerced and manipulated and killed. 
And that's probably the biggest reason we have a hard time with compassion and we have a hard time really digging into our faith is because there's a part of us that's saying, is this forced on me? Mm -hmm. Or have I actually decided this is what I believe? Mm -hmm. I've done the work. I've studied like C.S. Lewis. You know, I have really investigated this. I set out to prove it was wrong and came to the conclusion that's absolutely right. Mm -hmm. And he devoted his life to it. Um, And I think that's the invitation from all of those faith perspectives is to, dig, is to dig deep enough to find what's true, eternally true, in this temporary moment. How can I understand eternity? And that's the point of religion. Hmm. I've never heard that as the point of religion before, but I like that. Well, I just totally made it up. <laughs> <laughs> it was a good one. That was good. But I, I mean, I, I think when religion is done right. Mm-hmm. It puts us in the presence of God, where we understand our moment, our our life, mm-hmm. this moment in the context of eternity, mm-hmm. and and you know, there's no pledge card attached to that, mm-hmm. and there's no you have to believe this, you know, dogma. Um, it's just you in the presence of the God who made you. Mm-hmm. And then how are you going to live with that knowledge in mind? Mm-hmm. And, of course, to bring it back full circle, the uh, Jesus says, you know, which one of these people was a neighbor? Was it the priest who walked by? Was it the Levite who walked by? Was it the robbers? Mm-hmm. Well, no, it's the one who stopped and got down to raise up another to his equal level. Mm-hmm. The one who showed mercy. And Jesus' response is, go and do likewise, so that whoever the other is to you, can you show them mercy and raise them up to equal with you? Mm. That's the way I have been reading this parable this time. Mm. Um, There's a lot more, obviously, you can learn from this parable and others, but that's where my mind went with this parable and this conversation around compassion and coexist. Mm -hmm. What I think is interesting is that um, something that I think is sort of alive in discourse right now is this idea of like performative versus action and what is performative to make someone feel better about themselves. Like, are you posting this because you actually believe it or because you want everyone else to think it is versus um, what are you actually doing in your day-to-day life to sort of help and I think that is sort of the difference between these two bumper stickers is that there is a sense of performance with coexist versus compassion is an action even just in the words themselves um and I think that is sort of what Jesus is also saying in that parable is that like all these people will tell you like oh I'm this good person I'm that but when given the choice what are they doing? What is, what is the action behind their words? Mm-hmm. I would agree. And I think that's why if, if you look, if you look at the way Jesus interacted with quote, quote, sinners, it was always invitation, welcome, forgiveness, healing, hope. And the only people, at least in my readings of the gospel, the only people Jesus was truly critical of. Wasn't even, he wasn't even critical of Pilate. Right? I mean, Rome's going to do what Rome's going to do. Whatever. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, the only people who's critical were the church leaders who used their position of power to demean or belittle or or elevate themselves. And I think that that's one of those things I've just kept in mind every time I turned around is, where is Jesus here? And I think Jesus would be very critical of most denominations. Mm-hmm. And maybe most religions, I don't know. But the point of reading the Gospels is not so I can judge them. It's so that I can increase my faith. Mm-hmm. And I can grow in the knowledge of the God who made me. And in this temporary moment, gives me a glimpse of eternity. Is there any sort of last thoughts that you would like to end with? If you were to design the perfect bumper sticker that you would put, maybe not on your car because you don't believe in that, but like a water bottle, <laughs> perhaps. What, um, what, what do you think that would be? My mind still goes back to beloved or just simply God loves us all. Mm. I don't know what that would look like on a bumper sticker. I don't know, because that might come off as preachy. It might. Which is uh, far. Which is kind of the <laughs> kind of the, the, the the puzzle about the yes. uh, the bumper sticker way of faith. Because mm. I really think faith and, and Jesus hints at it at times, faith is very personal Mm -hmm. and it should be very devout and sincere Mm -hmm. and I think that's the problem we're having in our country and in our world right now Mm -hmm. is faith is not devout faith is not sincere for most people Mm -hmm. it's going through the motions so that I feel good about myself to your point Mm -hmm. or that I just get the assurance that when this life is over there's heaven waiting Mm -hmm. We're sure are missing a lot of chance to love one another and have compassion with one another while we're still here on earth. Mm. Yeah. I think sort of what you're saying is like faith is in conversation, not in a sound bite. Well said. Look, you can get things off the cuff too. There we go. <laughs> um, yes. Well, Scott, thank you so much for being on here today. How would we connect with you if we wanted to do that? Sure. Well, St. Barnabas Episcopal Church in Warwick, Rhode Island. We have a Facebook page. um, And we actually just recently updated our website, which is slightly better than it used to Mm -hmm. be. So that's good. Um, And so there's phone call. There's a phone number on there and email. People can get a hold of me that way. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being here today. Thanks for having me. Thank you for listening to Tea Time Theology, a ministry of St. John's Cathedral in Rhode Island. We would like to thank our producers, Ivy Swinsky and Taylor Wilkie. Special thanks to Moa Conde and David Hines for our music. Our sponsors, the Episcopal Diocese of Rhode Island and the Right Reverend Nicholas Nisley 
as well as our guests today. Follow us at Tea Time Theology on all social medias.